I'm Derek Thompson, longtime writer with The Atlantic Magazine on tech, culture, and politics. There is a lot of noise out there, and my goal is to cut through the headlines, loud tweets, and hot takes in my new podcast, Plain English. I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know to give you clear viewpoints and memorable takeaways. Plain English starts November 16th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Wow. The Patriots escape. I hope everybody's doing all right as the Patriots barely beat the New York Jets. So a lot to get to with this game. Coming up next, you'll hear... A segment from our FanDuel TV show, The Local Angle, which airs every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on FanDuel TV. And we spoke with, as we do after every Patriots game, three-time Super Bowl champ James White. So you'll hear that coming up next. Welcome back into The Local Angle. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike. And joining us now is not one, not two, but three-time Super Bowl champ James White. James, how are you, man? We sweated this one out. Yeah, I'm doing well. How about yourself? But uh, they definitely sweated this one out. I mean, it's kind of been like that the the last two times at least they've they played the Jets. It's been a a tough game. Not a lot of scoring. You know, solid defense on both sides, and it comes down to literally the last possession of the game. So that's just how it's been the last couple times. Yeah, I'm with you, man. And I'm just after this game, I'm relieved that they won because they almost completed the Hail Mary, which for a second there, I'm like, oh my, are they really going to actually pull this off? Like, if you think about bad Patriots losses, not that you had many when you were playing, James, but if you think about bad Patriots losses, this would have sparked a lot of dark question marks going forward for the organization. Like, they're 0-3, they got to play Dallas. I'm just glad they avoided that. And I'm obviously happy, right? You take the win and you run with it. But one of the things that sticks out to me is just this offense, it just, it doesn't feel right right now, right? So for a second there, I'm happy after the game because you end up winning, but we start to think about it the first couple of weeks, it feels like they're going backwards e- each week, right? So the first week it was, oh, hey, they had some bad turnovers, but they were moving the football. They had some success and it looks like they have a real NFL offense, unlike 2022. And then week two, they still had the careless turnovers, but they weren't as productive. In this game today, and I know that David Andrews after the game and a couple of the guys were saying, hey, we just can't turn the ball over. That was an emphasis this week. But they didn't really do much on offense that made you feel optimistic as we try to look at a team that's trying to compete for a playoff spot this year. So I came away from this game really concerned about the offense once again. I just I feel like they're not getting better. 
Yeah, definitely a little concerning, but it's always good to make those corrections with a win rather than a loss. Most definitely, I think I thought they played decently in the first half and the second half. Obviously, had the one field goal, then it was just punt, 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 punt every single time. Which they're they're going up against a talented defense, so they're pretty good on every single level. A good defensive line. I thought the offensive line thought it did a decent job of blocking in the passing game. I thought it did a pretty decent job blocking in the run game. I think the running game was really you know what really closed out this game in a sense of which really gave the Patriots the edge. The Jets couldn't really run the football besides maybe that that one drive, that one long drive they had. They had a few, you know, good runs in there. But I thought Zeke had a good, you know, kind of introduction. This his first big game as a Patriot. You can see he still has, you know, some legs, some some juice in him to help get this offensive spark. I thought Mondre ran hard as well. And I thought Mac missed a couple of, you know, deep shots. They had a couple of those slot phases they ran. You know, one to Pop Douglas where he was kind of laid on it. I know he did like a little inside release. It was actually two to Pop Douglas. One, he did an inside release on a fade, which you don't typically, you know, want to do, but he had a step on the defender. Mac was a little late on that one. And the two to Juju, they were just kind of not on the same page. The one on third down when the Jets got the ball back to potentially, you know, get the ball back. But yeah, the passing game was a little, you know, hit or miss. It was raining. It's tough to throw the ball in the rain, but I mean, Zach Wilson was whipping the ball around, you know, towards that back half of the game. So they definitely have to be better throwing the football. Yeah, well, and you talk about Juju in particular, because we can get to Ramondre and Zeke, as you mentioned there, too. The thing to me about Juju is he came into today fifth on the team in passing yards <laughs> behind Devontae Parker and Douglas. And Douglas was benched in week two after the fumble <laughs> and Parker didn't play in week one. Today, both those guys pass him in receiving yards this season as did Pharaoh Brown, a guy that I'm sure a lot of Patriots fans after that touchdown was like, wait, who, who was that? Who was Pharaoh yeah, Brown? I, I, he had, yeah. That was a nice play. I thought that a couple of, yeah. what were you going to say? Yeah, I, I didn't know he was <laughs> hardly on the team as well. But hey, he had, he, had a, he, had a, he had a big day today, though. He had a couple of nice catching runs. Like I said, it's always good to kind of get those guys in the mix. I mean, that's why the play works so effectively. You put a guy like that who's the third tight end, you're expecting him to, to block and something like that. So, not as many eyes on him. So great play call by Bill O'Brien, you know, kind of right. selling the block, getting him up the seam. You know, they completely drop him. It's a huge play in the game. I thought I thought Bill O'Brien did a you know pretty good job calling this football game, trying to mix things in there. Like I said I thought the running game really gave them the little bit of the edge that they had today. Like I said, Zeke performed well. He was running hard, running through tackles. And like I said, they made, they made enough plays to win the football game. Second half offensively, they got to be so much better. They could have they could have easily won this game you know, by two or three scores. I know they missed, you know, two field goals, rookie kicker. You know, you give him yeah. a break on that. He, he's talented. I, I like the kid watching him at Maryland. He, he makes some, some big kicks. He has a strong leg. He'll continue to get better than that, you know, playing in those elements. So, like I said, it's definitely better to, like I said, <laughs> always make those corrections in a win. But there's still so much room for improvement. And next week is going to be a great challenge, obviously, against, a, you know, the best defense in the league right now, the, the pressure that they can create. Now, both in the run game, pass game, it's going to be a challenge for sure. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to the Dallas game after what we saw today from the Patriots offense. And I do feel like in some sense, and we can get to the defense that has been tremendous for this team. And really, I feel like I hope you don't waste this defense because it's a really, really good defense. But just circling back to Juju, he had one catch today for five yards. Yeah. And if, as you mentioned, it was weird that on like two third downs, huge third downs in the game, there are throwing the ball to Juju when he hasn't really been effective so far this season. And I'm starting to get a little bit, I know I keep saying I'm starting to get worried about guys, but I'm starting <laughs> to get worried about Juju because this is a guy that you identified in the offseason. 
You paid him rather than paying Jacoby Myers. And I totally understood the idea more of a playmaker after the catch. But what we're seeing so far from Juju is not really much of anything. And I just wonder, you know, he had a slow start. He's been dealing with this knee situation. In the first game, he wasn't on the field for the final two-minute drive, which kind of tells you where the team thinks he is right now in terms of the pass-catching pecking order right now. And I'm starting to think back and <laughs> to Nelson Aguilar, where they signed Nelson Aguilar, the Patriots did, James, for a big contract, <laughs> right? At the time, it was like the highest-paid receiver in the history of the Patriots. You didn't get much production from him. And I'm just—and I look, we're three games into the season and all that. But right now, when I look at the Patriots' weapons right now— I do kind of feel like he's way down, not just like based on how he's played, but if you just watch the game, it's like, okay, I'd rather have Douglas out there. At least Parker can do things down the field a little bit. And then you start to think about some of the other guys they have. I I like Bourne more than I like Juju Smith-Schuster. So I am starting to get just a little bit worried about, are they going to get something from the guy that they spent money on in the offseason? Yeah, for me, I think he he must be still trying to get back full speed from the knee injury or, you know, whatever it was. Like I said, the first game, he didn't really play too much. I know he started today, but you know, it wasn't ultra productive. And he isn't on the field, you know, as much as what you probably would expect for, you know, a guy making as much money as what he's making. They thought they'd pay him to be on the field, you know, as much as possible, being that that slot receiver, that catch and run guy, you know, catching those, you know, check downs, whatever, five yard passes and, you know, making big plays out of that because that's what he's really good at. I mean, they went to him in two crucial situations. I know in the first one, I thought he had a step on the, you know, on the corner. I think Mac was thinking back shoulder while he was thinking, you know, more over the shoulder, deep down the field pass, which he, I thought he probably, you know, had the right idea there. I thought Mac made a, a poor throw on that one. But the second one, I just thought they weren't on the same page. I thought the Jets did a great job. Good communication there and man coverage. They passed it off, which is a tough, tough play to make it offensively. They play it well, but I said they weren't quite on the same page on that too. So definitely looking to see more from him. Um, like I said, I feel like it's somewhat of a health issue, but I feel like as the year goes on, I think the chemistry between him and Mac isn't quite there yet. I think the guys who he has the most chemistry with is obviously Kendrick Bourne. He's starting to build it with Kaseki, you know, with um, Hunter Henry and Devontae Parker. Those are the guys who he has the most, you know, chemistry with on the offense. So I feel like that's where the ball is going to end up going the most. But he does throw the ball a lot to to Pop Douglas. And I, when I went out to minicamp, at that point, he was already, you know, talking about, how how he believed in Pop Douglas at that point, how he liked what he saw from him, which he's a guy, he's like one of those spark players. You put him in there, they got him on punt return. He's obviously a guy who they believe is good with the ball in his hand. So I think we'll be seeing a lot more of him. But I think we definitely need to see a lot more of Juju too. He's a talented kid. He's got to find a way to get him the ball. Yeah, I hope they get him going because they're desperate for any sort of playmaker to emerge from that group. As you said, he has chemistry with Kendrick Bourne. Bourne had the great first game of the season and then he's not kind of been the same guy since I'm not saying it's on Kendrick Bourne I'm just saying they haven't had that reliable guy like at the top of the pecking order for this team the other thing that jumped out to me you mentioned Zeke he was great in that series in the second half where it was like six consecutive runs for him and he was just (laughs) it looked like Dallas Zeke I'm like okay this looks good and it kind of concerned me because you go to the final two series or two of the final three series of the game when they're trying to run out the clock it was actually Zeke on the field and not Ramondre, which kind of stuck out to me because Ramondre this season, Zeke today, 16, 480, that's five yards a pop. Ramondre, he really didn't get it going in terms of today, he's 19 for 59. So what, 3.1 on the series or on the season, he's south of three yards per carry. And last year, he didn't have a great offensive line and he sort of created his own yardage. And this year, I don't know if it is 
one week he was dealing with a stomach bug. I felt like so often earlier on the season, they tried to run the ball under center more today than they had <sighs> been previously. Maybe that gets Ramondre going. But what have you seen from Ramondre? Any reason for concern? Because I feel like today, Zeke looked like the superior back, and I didn't think I'd be saying that at any point in 2023. Well, I think the first couple of weeks, the offensive line didn't do a great job blocking whatsoever in the run game. The run game was absolutely non-existent. No back could pretty much do anything at that point. I thought today, I, know, I think Ramondre had some decent runs in there. Just how the, the game goes sometimes. You have two talented backs. You get one guy in there. You know, he's getting two or three-yard gains. You put another guy in there, he's popping off six or seven-yard gains, and he kind of go with the guy who kind of has the hot hand. And I, mean, I feel like that's what it's going to be kind of throughout the year. They're both talented backs. There's going to be some games where Ramondre's going to have the hotter hand than Zeke, and he'll, he'll be out there a little bit more. But I think it's going to, you know, bode well for the team to have two guys kind of change your pace. They have two different running styles. Defense kind of have to prepare for both guys. So I, said, I don't think it's, you know, kind of one above the other. I know Ramondre's going to be the feature guy, but if, one guy has the hot hand. That's just the way it goes as being a running back. You just have to kind of take it on the chin. It's like, okay, like this guy, every time he touches the ball today, he's getting, you know, five or six yards. It's hard for them to bring him down. That's why Zeke's out there, you know, one of those final possessions. He's he's really leaning to the defense. So you got to keep the guy going because, you know, some some backs, the more you feed it to them, the better they get. And Zeke, he's been one of those guys throughout his career. I know, you know, the last couple of years haven't been the greatest, but he's still, you know, been either – at a thousand yards or right underneath it these past couple of seasons. So he still it has a lot of juice, still has a lot of talent. I said, those two backs, I think they're going to be very important for this offense. Cause obviously the first few weeks, they did a great job throwing the football. The running game wasn't there. Just got to wait for one of those games where you know, both things are kind of going. And whenever that happens, I feel like this team could be really dangerous. Cause uh, obviously I don't know if you, we all saw that dolphin score where they did to, <laughs> to the Broncos today. So you're going to have to be able to score some points in this division. The bills, you no, know, one like 37 to three, whatever. So it's going to be tough. I mean, the Jets are not going to score too many points probably. Although I thought, you know, Zach Wilson kind of took a little bit of a step forward. I know the last drive wasn't the greatest. He still held on to the ball there. But just wonder with him, I, I'm probably one of the few people that still have some belief that he could be somewhat of a, a decent quarterback. Just because, <laughs> like, if you can I'm – I'm the believer in that saying, like, if you do it once, you can do it every time. Like, he just has to, whatever, lock in, whatever it is to find a way because – He's zipping the ball in the cover too. Like some some quarterbacks have been in the league for like 10 years, don't even not even be able to make that throw that he made. So if you're willing to take that risk right there, why can't you just get the ball out, check it down when, you know, <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're yeah. dropping out. So it's, it's a lot of questions there on their side of things, but this offense is going to have to be able to score points. And I think it's best for them to be able to both be able to run the football and throw it at, you know, whatever, whatever the game plan is, whatever the week is, you're going to have to lean into one of them, but it's going to be great when you can lean into both of them every single week. And I'll say this. I am grateful that Zach Wilson is the quarterback <laughs> of the New York, New York Jets. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Welcome back into Off the Pike, getting back into the pod portion of the program here after James and I just taped for FanDuel TV. Yeah, that Zach Wilson thing, man. I thought the one drive they had is when they actually let him throw the ball. Like, Romo was actually saying it. Why don't you let this guy throw on first down? It's mind-boggling. Like, I think we almost forget, not we, but people forget the fact that Nathaniel Hackett was, like, the worst coach in NFL history. And he is now the offensive coordinator of Zach Wilson, not Aaron Rodgers, his friend from Green Bay. And it's like they found something in that one drive. And other than that, like, like they didn't want to dig into that, which— if I was a Jets fan, I would be starting to look, obviously, Wilson, he has his own issues, but I would really start to be questioning 
Nathaniel Hackett, the play caller. Yes, yeah, just really strange. I mean, when he entered the game against the Bills in week one, it just essentially just went to just essentially running the ball the entire game, throw it on third down, try and get in third and five. That was like the only time he threw the football. This guy, he drafted him, what, what, number two, number three overall, whatever it was. Drafted him because the potential that he possibly had, the arm talent that it has, just let him, got to let him fly. I mean, obviously, he's had trouble protecting the football, you know, throughout his first two years. But like I said, you're at the quarterback position, but the talent that they have on that roster, in order to win in this league, you're going to have to be able to throw the football. You can, you can lean into the run game a lot, but at some point, he's going to have to build that confidence. I think he really lacks that confidence. The coaching staff seems like they lack the confidence in him to be able to, you know, throw the ball on first, second and third down, whatever, or throw the ball too many times at all in the game. They're kind of cautious with his decision-making, or they're kind of afraid of him throwing those interceptions. I know he had a, a few decisions today that could have possibly been interceptions if defense alignment didn't bat it down the line of scrimmage. So I think he's improved a little bit, and I, said, I think the kid still has potential. I think the only way he's going to get better if they just you know got to let it fly. I think that's the only way he's going to get that confidence. Yeah, him and Garrett Wilson were getting into it, too, on the sideline. I know that happens in the NFL receivers yeah. and quarterbacks yeah. getting into it. I, the one thing I will say, this is not to defend Zach Wilson, James, but Garrett Wilson, I don't know what he was complaining about. He wasn't well, open. Like yeah, Christian Gonzalez had him blanketed all day. And this is another big time development for this team, because we talk about some of the issues they've had offensively. Christian Gonzalez has been unbelievable. He has been yeah. outstanding. He did it again today. There was one play where... He basically, Zach Wilson was scrambling because he was at, he was protected okay, but then he kind of got out of the pocket like he tends to do. And Garrett Wilson had an eternity to beat Christian Gonzalez, and he couldn't get away from it and forced yeah. a throwaway. And then on the series where they actually scored the touchdown, the play prior to the penalty, yeah, which I didn't... Whip, yeah. Get a little whip route. play prior to that. Yeah, yeah. he had him <laughs> locked up again. I mean, I, I love the pick at the time, but I'm even more yeah. enthusiastic about it now. He's I thought coming into the season, you look at the gauntlet of receivers that the Patriots yeah. are going up against. He has been incredible. I mean, Tyreek Hill and then Garrett Wilson in back-to-back weeks. And obviously, you have to use the caveat. It's the Jets' offense. But Christian Gonzalez has been incredible. You got to give this kid a lot of credit. I know we kind of talked about it probably in one of the first pods we did this year. You're wondering who's going to be that corner that's going to be able to you know follow or match up against some of these top receivers the first few weeks out of the season, A.J. Brown, Tyreek Hill, and to Garrett Wilson. That's a that's probably as hard as it's going to get for any rookie quarterback, rookie cornerback to start off his NFL career. He's he's held his own. I mean, he's we obviously the Patriots run a lot of band coverage. You know, sometimes it's going to have help from the safety, but regardless, you still got to be able to hold your own. These are like really talented receivers. They can beat double teams and, you know, with safety help and all that stuff. And he's he stood up to the task. And you can see – the, the respect he's already earned from these players after one matchup, you see Garrett Wilson dapping him up after coverage plays. You see, you know, A.J. Brown dapping him up after coverage plays. So the respect is already there. Hopefully this kid keeps it, you know, keeps it up going forward because they're going to need it. Um, obviously, when Jonathan Jones gets back, it's going to be, be huge for this football team to have him. You know, whenever Jack Jones gets back, the, the secondary is already talented. Even with these guys out, they're still playing at a, extremely high level and this kid the sky is definitely the limit for him the more confidence he gets he's he's gonna emerge one of the best cornerbacks in the league i mean he's already off to a hot start this year 
Well, and he motivated Oregon to beat Coach Prime oh, and the oh, Colorado man. Buffs. I mean, they, they, <laughs> they crushed him. And, and Christian Gonzalez like gave like the thing on social media or whatever to the Oregon Ducks. He was he was at Colorado first, yeah, then yeah, he went to yeah. Oregon. So of course he's yeah. going to be pro Oregon, and I, I love it, man. He's firing up the uh, Oregon Ducks. But speaking of that defense, I thought what it's a good it's a great point that I mean this secondary is going to get even healthier, but. Another guy in the secondary I thought was outstanding again was Jabril Peppers. Jabril Peppers and I, I kind of felt yeah. like he was going to have a big season, James. But how about the play that he made where he just basically took Randall Cobb, threw him down, <laughs> and he still, he's the guy that makes the tackle on Delvin Cook. I thought that was an incredible play because at that point, it's a second and six, and you end up forcing the Jets to punt. That easily should have been a first down. That's just like a one-on-one outstanding yeah. play. and. We talked about it, I think, the first part of the year, like how do they replace, or maybe even before the season, whenever it was, yeah. how do they replace Devin McCourty? Yeah. Are they going to do it by committee with a bunch of different guys? And I'm not comparing the players at all. Like Devin McCourty yeah, is going to be wearing a red jacket <laughs> one day, right? Like I'm not comparing the players. But it does feel like Jabril Peppers, I mean, he's been really, really good for this team. And especially like in the offseason when the Patriots re-signed him. I like the move, but it's like, okay, well, they have Duggar. They have Phillips. They have... Mm-hmm. Marty Mapu that they wouldn't end up taking in the draft. It's like how much is yeah, yeah. <laughs> how much is Pepper is going to play? And he, he's been incredible. I mean, he's been one of their best defensive players. Obviously, Judon makes the huge play late, which Judon again, man, this guy gets better every season. Like yeah. as he gets older, he had four sacks today. He's waving goodbye to the Jets crowd, although that may have been premature. Yeah, but he was outstanding again. Three timeouts, yeah, or two timeouts, whatever they And that punt, like Bill loves that. Morstead, whatever his name is, Bill loves that guy to begin with. That guy has a absolutely like that, that guy's a leg man it was incredible yeah it was crazy but Jabril he from the start of the game he was all over the field the play you talked about the little swing screen you know the Jets had their numbers it was two on three you know one-on-one him Randall Cobb obviously it's a matchup that Jabril should win but he you know throws him off makes a tackle creates fourth down but I said he's a dynamic football player I mean you saw it ever since he was at Michigan you know returning punts and sending them blitzing off the edge of the you know, the slot position, slot corner position. He's a versatile football player, and he plays physical. That's what, you know, kind of gives him that edge compared to, you know, some other safeties. you got two physical safeties. you got Duggar and you got Jabril Peppers. And AP, too. They're both guys who can – or all three are guys who can play in the box, can cover one-on-one. So the, the versatility that they have is huge, and I think he's had a great start to the season. I know, you know, with the Browns and Giants, he, he was a solid football player there. I think this has been the perfect – you know, spot for him. We all know how much Bill loves the safety position. He's going to have five or six safeties on the roster yeah. every single year. He's going to have three safeties on the field as much as he possibly can, and he's just one of those guys. Like I said, he, I like, I like how they send him off the edge and run blitzes because you need that type of, you know, he had to play early in the game, beat the tight end, you know, trying to seal him off and made the tackle. Running back trying to bounce out the edge and made the tackle there. So he's impacting the game in a, a multitude of ways. There, even putting him on punt return as well. He had a couple. You know, decent punt returns too. So he's been huge for this team so far. Who was the hard when you were on the team? Because I feel like Peppers right now is probably the hardest hitter on the team. Who was the hardest hitter you ever played with? Not against, but on the when you were on the Pats. I high towers pretty big, yeah, but he yeah, does have the linebacker yeah, position, yeah, right? High, yeah, high towers in there. So it's, we have some some physical guys. High towers in there. Chung hit. Chung will hit pretty hard. But Duggar, oh, Duggar's yeah, definitely. Chung. Duggar, yeah, Chung hit pretty hard. Duggar's in there too, though. Duggar was Duggar's a, a physical player. He saw him run over Michael Carter in a blitz pickup oh, yeah. today too. Yeah, that's that's when Michael Carter was arguing with either his coach or somebody on the sideline after that play. I don't know what it was. There a lot of frustration going on on that Jet sideline. So 
you know, I, that was my biggest thing for the Jets, you know, throughout the offseason. I know obviously Aaron Rodgers is a huge set of adversity in itself, but how would they handle adversity? Because obviously they had a lot of high hopes, a lot of expectations. You know, if they were to lose a couple things like that, I mean, like I said, Zach Wilson, that quarterback, it changes things, but you can all already see it starting to little unravel a little bit, guys arguing with the refs and all that stuff. So it's kind of crazy. But they, like I said, they're still going to have a chance in every single game just because of the defense that they have. Yeah. And by the way, the refs in this game, the blatant miss, and maybe we think about the offensive game differently from the Patriots. They missed that pass interference at the end of the half. And of course, yeah. then you yeah. had two high snaps from Cardona in this game. And then it looked like to me that the laces were out in that. And it, I mean, it, it was an incredible catch just to catch the snap. Yeah, but you had two issues there snap. on special teams, which obviously Bill's not going to be happy about that. But if that Douglas penalty is called where he legitimately yeah. gets slapped in the face mask, maybe yeah. we're thinking differently about this, even though I have some worries going forward with this offense. I do think maybe that makes things look a little differently for this team if they actually make that call. Bill was all over the officials in this yeah. game, and rightfully so. I thought they did a poor job. Yeah, the guy didn't, he didn't even turn around whatsoever. You got to yeah. look back at some point, just hand <laughs> to the face, dove straight through his body. I'm like, that's, you know, clear as day. So the rest def definitely didn't help him out as much. But like I said, it was raining a little bit today, so that's always harder to throw the football. The routes aren't going to be as crisp at the receiver position. So I'll give him you know, a little bit of that, a little bit of relief. But it has to be it has to be so much better. Like I said, on a day like today where they could have, you know, easily kind of ran away with this football game, even though it was a, a good defense that they're going up against, they had plenty of opportunities to kind of separate themselves, and they didn't. Like I said, it's, it's not going to get easier. Next week's going to be an even tougher challenge because that, you know, the team they're going up against is going to have a better offense than what the Jets have, or at least from what they've shown so far. So they're going to have to be able to score, I would say, at least over – over 20 points to win next week. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the concern. Can they finish off some of these drives where they have so many drives that look good and then they just sort of fizzle out, whether it's a yeah. penalty. In previous weeks, it's been a turnover. Yeah. I did think that they did an outstanding job in terms of the game planning defensively, or maybe this is just something that the Jets didn't do at all, but you knew that Bill was going to heat up Wilson. That Wilson yeah. last year against the Blitz was 42nd yeah. out of 42 qualifiers in completion percentage against the Blitz. Yeah. That's via pro football focus. He was 40th in rating, and he holds on to the ball. 3.00 time to throw when he's Blitz. <laughs> Only Justin Fields had a longer time to throw. So he doesn't know what he's doing with the Blitz. So you knew if you're coming into this game from a Jets angle, you're going to get blitzed. And we saw like huge plays. First series of the game, third down, Judon gets to him. Second uh, series, third down, you bring a blitz, you get a sack. First down, and then later on in the game, the ninth drive, it's 13-3. to three. You bring Duggar, and Uche gets not a sack, but he gets Wilson yeah, for like a yeah. one-yard scramble. They have to punt again. So the Jets clearly, and maybe it's just Zach Wilson doesn't know where to throw the ball no, when he's blitzed. But also, like, all right, you know this as the Patriots. Like, yeah. if they can't pick up the blitz, you might as well just keep blitzing. I mean, it felt like they did it all day long to Zach Wilson again. Yeah, these... The young quarterbacks, I feel like sometimes they're waiting for things to open up. As a quarterback, you got to have anticipation. You got sometimes you got to throw the ball before your receiver gets out of his cut. You got to know where he's going, know the depth. You just got to release the ball and believe in he's going to get to the spot. And I think sometimes, like Justin Fields and him, they wait, 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 and they're waiting for the perfect time to throw the ball when there really is no perfect time. You got to let it rip, believe your receiver's going to beat the man one on one yeah. and let it go, especially in man to man coverage like the one you know in the red zone to to Garrett Wilson, that could have potentially been a touchdown if it was a better throw by Zach Wilson when they ran cover zero. Christian Gonzalez had, you know, pretty good coverage on him. But if he throws the ball you know, right at his chest, there's a potential that Garrett Wilson catches that and goes into the end zone. And that's kind of a part of it. I feel like he's like waiting, 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 waiting. 
then I, I got to throw the perfect throw in there after the guy's kind of barreling down. So that's a kind of a learning curve for these young quarterbacks. Some some never get it. Some eventually do get it. But you're going to have to get it in order to, you know, be a long-lasting quarterback in this league. But, yeah, I, like coming to the game, Bill Belichick defense versus Zach Wilson, like we've seen it, you know, a bunch of times already. He struggled against the blitz. I mean, he struggled against, you know, <laughs> drop coverage as well, dropping eight coverage. It just He's just trying to figure things out a little too much. We just got to trust what the coaches are, you know, putting out there. If it's not there, just check it down. Because even at times, he had check downs all throughout the game. He he kind of hit the check downs a little bit earlier in the game. And I felt like as the game went on, it's like he was like trying to make a play down the field when he should have just took the check down and guys could have had some catch and run situations. So it's a big learning curve for a lot of young quarterbacks too. Yeah, and circling back to where we started, James, just with the offense, is there something that you see that maybe they could work in more? Or is it just that these guys got to be better? It just feels like... There's just something not clicking with this offense consistently. We've seen signs at times, but we don't get like, really, we don't even get a full series of it, right? We'll have like <laughs> the start of a good series or maybe something along those lines, right? Like, is there something that you think like, I thought today one of the adjustments was like all the play action plays I mentioned earlier, it felt like those were big plays. They were running the ball, I felt like under center more. And I just, I, I just wonder, is it just a personnel thing where the guys out there have to be better? Because I do feel like unlike last year, obviously, it's not like they're working from a disadvantage from a play calling yeah. standpoint. I feel like Bill O'Brien's brought some interesting things to the table here. I mean, coming into today's game, Mac was south of 14% in terms of his dropbacks via play action, which is one of the lowest rates in the NFL. It's just because those first couple of games, they're sort of designing the around the offensive <laughs> line, could, right? You can't and do it. Could run the, and it could run the ball, so play action, no good. You can't, yeah. you can't run the football. <laughs> so for, for me, I think it's just everybody being on the same page and then building chemistry together. It's a new offense. Some new players, some young players playing in the offensive line, shuffling around. If they get some consistency on the offensive line, the running game gets going. Like I think today was going to be going to be huge for them, especially going to next week. They're going to have to run the football next week. You can't drop back and throw it fifty times against Michael Parsons and Marcus Lawrence and that offense. So for me, it's them building chemistry, getting. I mean, it doesn't have to be a run play every first down, but you know, getting the the third and five as much as possible next week. Because obviously, the third and six to nine, third and ten plus Michael Parsons. It's a good chance he's going to create a pressure. So, for me, it's consistency out of everybody. Building chemistry with guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, who should have a, a bigger impact in the game. B- keep building chemistry with guys like Gusecki, who can be a mismatch against you know any safety. I just think they have a lot of talent on this football team. It's just been very inconsistent, whether it's just turnovers or miscommunications on throws. You know, like last week, you know, the throw up to Devontae Parker on the sideline when Xavier Howard has them pretty covered. It's just like they're – the chemistry is just a little off. Like we see flashes of it where it looks really, really good. And then the next few drives just looks, you, you start to get a few good plays and then penalty, you know, punt. And then like the, the second half of this game was pretty much awful for the offense. I know Zeke had a pretty decent second half, but to punt on pretty much every possession aside from one, that's, that's never good football from offense, whether it's raining or not. Yeah. Yeah. It is frustrating because, Man, I really like watching this defense play, and it's like I get the opposite feeling watching the offense. Every time the defense is on the field, I'm like, oh, my, they're doing crazy stuff. They're doing exotic stuff. Like, Gonzalez is outstanding. Keon White had another big play today, a big pressure. Josh Uche, whatever, it's like a passing down. The guy's all over the place. Judon's been outstanding. Dietrich Wise made another nice play today. We talked about Peppers earlier. So I really thoroughly enjoy watching the Patriots' offense. It's like completely different when the offense is on the field. 
I try to get excited, and then I'm like, oh, here we go again. This this drive completely stalls out. So it's like, I love watching half the team play, and I don't really enjoy watching the other half of the team play right now, which is sort of the concerning thing going forward. All right, James, before we let you go, so obviously this is Jets week. We know that Bill hates the Jets, the team that he despises the most in the NFL with all the history that he's had with that organization. But when you were there, could you rank like the top three teams that maybe Bill hated or that you guys hated? I have to assume after Deflategate, the Colts, well, the Colts were probably already there, right? Because you had the history before you were there, the uh, history with yeah. Peyton Manning. And then the Ravens, I assume, have to be up there. Like Harbaugh seems to be somebody that would kind of irk team. And you, the Ravens, I've always felt like, James, like you guys never had a rivalry with the Steelers because you always beat them. I did feel like the Ravens were like one of the only teams where when you no. guys played them in the playoffs, I would be like concerned. Like, ah, man, they worry me. That's just like a gritty, tough team every year. And this is when they had Flacco, not even before they had Lamar Jackson. But so who's like the top of the hate list for the Patriots? The Jets by far. Number, number one, not even, not even close. Anybody else is it's, it's like no comparison to the Jets. If I had to pick a second team, I don't think it even comes close to the Jets. I don't think we deliberately hate you know, anybody else. Oh, man. I would say Kansas City would give us a, a good run for our money every single time we play them. So that was always a tough challenge. I wouldn't say we hated them, but we already we always would know that was going to be a tough fight when we play them. And the Ravens as well. We knew coming to that game, we knew the type of physicality was going to come to that football game, especially once they got a guy like Lamar Jackson coming in there. We know it was going to be tough four quarters. Then they got us in, what was that, like 2018, 2019, whatever it was, when we played them there in Baltimore. So – that was always a tough – those are two tough football teams. I said they – their style's a little bit different. You know, Kansas City is probably a little bit more finesse. You know, when it comes to Baltimore, it's probably a lot more physical, especially from the, the defensive aspect. Yeah, and speaking of the Chiefs, we'll never forget that. 2018 <laughs> AFC Championship game. I guess technically it was in the year 2019, but just <laughs> Brady in the overtime, the three third and tens, two to Edelman – two to Gronk. And that really, I mean, if you think about it, James, I think I mentioned this on the pod recently, but think about Pat Mahomes. He has three postseason losses, two are to Tom and one is to Joe Burrow. If Tom doesn't beat him in 2020 and doesn't beat him in 2018, and I know it's not just one guy, but just for the sake of the argument, like this whole conversation of, hey, will Pat Mahomes be the greatest quarterback of all time? It's like, well, he actually beat him twice, like in the postseason. So it's seven to two right now in terms of the Super Bowls when it easily could have been Mahomes already having four. I know it's tough to win four in that amount of time, but he was right there. And I think we all agree that they beat the Rams that season in the Super Bowl when you guys beat the Rams. And then the other one is when uh, you had Brady, like you actually had him head to head. You had an opportunity to beat the Bucks in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, that's why I think that Mahomes, any conversation about passing Tom Brady, Tom Brady's got those two games he can point to. <laughs> yeah, Tom's got the got the upper hand on him. That kid, he's off, he's off to a hot start so far in his career and already having two Super Bowls this early on is definitely pretty impressive, but he still, he still has a ways to go like that. The amount of success that Tom has had throughout his career – you know, 20 plus years, whatever it was, it's, it's crazy. Like, I don't think we'll ever see that again. Obviously, Mahomes is off to a great, great start, but he, he has a lot of years to go to catch up to where Tom is. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. No doubt about that. I mean, man, we do miss the days, James. You guys yeah. playing with Tom Brady, that team was so fun to watch for so many years. It feels like a different world we live in now as Patriots fans. <laughs> we were spoiled for so long. All right. 
That is, that <laughs> is three times Super Bowl champions. Like James, that, yeah, it, it's got to. I mean, it's got to get better offensively, right? I mean, small small victories, no turnovers yeah. today. Yep, that's that's a step in the right direction. That's 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 talking Bill Belichick's language right there. You don't turn the ball over on offense, you have like a like a ninety percent chance or ninety plus ninety percent chance of winning the football game. So he loves that for sure. All right, James, great stuff, man. Appreciate you. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. And I'm looking at Monday Night Football. I don't really love a side in this Tampa Bay-Philly game. So what I like is, how about I have some fun with this one? Anytime touchdown scores, Jalen Hurts... A.J. Brown and Mike Evans. That pays out plus 1391. 1,391 plus 1391, people. So if you're like me, you don't really like a side, have some fun with this one. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Pike and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from James White as always. Always love chatting. Pats after games with James White. A lot of fun. Not the best game today for the Patriots, but it could have been a lot worse if they lost this thing on the Hail Mary. For a second there, I'm like, oh my God, this cannot happen. This cannot happen. And luckily, the Patriots pull out a win. So I do want to get to some other thoughts I have after our conversation with James in just a second here, but do want to get to a couple of voicemails here and then get to an email. So that number is 617-396-7172. Who's up first? Hey, Brian. This is Ray calling from California. Uh, I just finished watching... This Jets-Patriots game, and to be honest, I don't really feel much better, even though we won. I mean, they won, which is great, but also the Jets were absolutely putrid offensively. You know, they had like 171 yards of total offense. So even though we won, I feel like that was a really low-hanging fruit. Zach Wilson came as advertised, and even then, I thought there was a chance we could have lost that game. If uh, on that Hail Mary, Randall Cobb, if he held on to that ball. If he caught that ball, there's a chance we lose that game and we're 0-3. So, yeah, I guess uh, good that they won, but I don't really feel that much better watching this game. So that's basically my comment on this game. But, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm with you, Ray. I mean, you really think about it. So the defense in this game, the first 18 plays, the Jets had six yards. They had one first down in their first five series. The Jets really had one good drive the entire game. They didn't have a play in Patriots territory until the sixth series of the game. There's no reason that this game should have come down to a Hail Mary. Like the Jets should have never had that opportunity in this game, which just brings you back to the whole situation in terms of what you mentioned. It's the offense. It's just you feel so good about the defense. We're talking to James White about this and the offense. It's just it's something different. It feels like every game and it's personnel. Sometimes they can't figure out what they're trying to accomplish on a game to game basis and today it was just another example of that I mean I look at it in terms of think about the offensive miscues right so the Patriots came into this game eighth in success rate in the NFL that means that on first down you're picking up 40 percent of the yardage to go 
on second down, 60% of the yardage to go. And then on third down or fourth down, you're converting a first down. So the Patriots are eighth in the NFL which, when it comes to that. But the problem was they were just 23rd in expected points added per play. Why? First of all, now it didn't happen in this game. They were 24th in t- terms of turnover percentage, 16.7%. And then they were only scoring on 25% of their drives entering today, which was 30th in the NFL. So at times we've seen them move the football, but then for whatever reason, the drive stalls out. Like I can go through a couple of series here. You go to the first series of the game. I felt like, okay, maybe you don't make the catch, but didn't it feel like Devontae Parker kind of slowed down? I still don't really understand why he did that. Even Romo mentioned it on the broadcast. Then on the second drive of the game, you had a perfectly set up screen at the 45. Ramondre Stevenson just drops the ball. He had 10 to 15 yards to work with. And Ramondre is another issue right now with this team, which I cannot believe I'm saying this. He was unequivocally the Patriots' best offensive player last year. He just doesn't look like the same guy right now. We talked to James White about that. Third series of the game, Cole Strange. Remember, I posed the question on Thursday, do we know if Cole Strange is good at football? He has a penalty that makes it second and 16. You end up settling for a field goal. And of course, we know that you ended up missing that field goal. Sixth series of the game, the Douglas no call. Now, maybe that's a situation where if you get that call, things go differently. I blame that more on the officials than I do, of course, with the Patriots. But then you have the missed field goal because it's a bad snap from Cardona. So again, you cost yourself points there, right? Seventh series right after the half. Mac is incomplete to Douglas, but Douglas is running a bad route, right? Where he's in the spacing of, I believe it was Gasecki at the tight end position. So you run a bad route there. Another thing where it's just, they're not on the same page. And then the eighth series of the game, second one after half, Juju, a legal blindside block, makes it first and 20. You end up punting deep in your own penal, uh, deep in your own territory. And you had three penalties on that drive. I just went through a handful of drives in this game where you can point to specific plays that just sort of render your drive ineffective. And this is why you only score 15 points in a game. And oh, by the way, 13 of those points came from your defense. So it's just the offense right now, I felt pretty good after week one that they may be onto something. And now I just feel like I don't really have a lot of optimism and hope going forward for this offense because what is the thing that you point to and say, you know what, they've been doing this really well through the first three weeks. There's nothing. There's nothing they've been doing really well. Like we've seen flashes, right? Zeke had a really good game in this one. But what can you really point to? It was a great play to Pharaoh Brown, but you kind of caught the Jets sleeping, right? I mean, Mac Jones after the game said he knew it was going to be a touchdown right away because it's something that they saw. It's something that they had basically seen in the film room and said, hey, if we get this, this is what's going to happen. So they they game plan for that, right? It's a one-off. It's not something you can repeat doing, right? You're not going to have play action passes down the field to Pharaoh Brown for touchdowns very often. Most people had no idea who Pharaoh Brown was before this game, right? So it just feels like they don't really have anything you can point to. And I would say this, not to say like Patricia was onto something. He certainly wasn't. Patricia was horrible at his job, and O'Brien's definitely an upgrade, but it's like, at least last year, and this is just about the player, you could say, hey, Ramondre was great. There's nothing this year that you can say about the offense where like, oh, this guy's really good, like you've seen signs from guys, but how about Ramondre now? So Ramondre last year was tied for ninth among running backs, averaging five points every yards per carry with a bad offensive line. This year after today, 46 carries, a buck 34, 2.9 yards per carry. He's salt of three yards per carry this season. And Zeke, he was better than Ramondre today. And if you look at it too, like Ramondre, just looking at some of the advanced numbers, Ramondre is entering today minus 30 rush yards over expected. So he should have 30 extra yards. That's eighth to last in the NFL. 
Last season, he was the ninth best in terms of rush yards over uh, expectation at 118. So he went from being one of the best backs creating for himself to legitimately, unequivocally, by the numbers, one of the worst running backs in the NFL. And I'm not telling you that's who Ramondre is, but I just don't know why we're three weeks into the season and the best offensive player from last year has been a non-factor whatsoever. Like, yes, a lot of it goes on the offensive line and all that. I understand that. But a lot of it goes on the running back, too, because with a bad offensive line last year, he was really productive for this team. All right, who's up next? Brian, it's David from Kentucky. Pats sneak away with a win against the New York Jets uh, in just what was an absolutely just ugly football game. Uh, I feel like the the weather had some to do with that. Um, Two bad snaps on field goal attempts uh, had to do with that. Um, But some some frustrating things and some encouraging things. Obviously, there was some just questionable officiating. Um, I don't think the call on Miles Bryant's a bad call, but I think that if that's a pass interference, then certainly Juju on third down. Uh, and, and of course, obviously, you know, uh, Pop Douglas here at the end of the first half are more than uh, meet the criteria. Um, speaking of Juju, uh, man, what a waste of, of money, what a waste of space and alignment. Um, just, I, I don't know if there's a, a, a war stat, uh, for, for football. If it is, I would love to see what is Juju's wins above <laughs> replacement as a wide receiver. Cause, I mean, today he gets called because he doesn't make a completion when we threw the ball at him in two crucial moments. Not great throws, not great plans, but hey, your best guy's gotta make plans when you need it. And he's obviously not that. And then, of course, a, a 10 yard penalty on, on a crackback block. Um, just horrible, awful stuff. Um, but hey, uh, Jets are a good defense. I, I thought getting a win was important, uh, in the rain. Uh, Zeke looked really good. Best game as a Patriot. Uh, I worry about, uh, Mondre. He, he looks like he's kind of lost some of the burst that we saw from him early in his career. And I, I don't know if you have thoughts about that, but, uh, the biggest thing today, man, I am so encouraged by Christian Gonzalez. Not only because of his performance today, but when you look at what the Miami Dolphins did today and what Tyree Kill has done in the two weeks where he has not played against uh, Christian yeah. Gonzalez, man, we might have just struck gold. If we can get this defense back and healthy, um, we, we've got potential to, to be a pretty good team. But, man, as always, appreciate the show. Look forward to hearing you and James White break it down. And I uh, hope you have a good one. Go Pats. All right, appreciate the call as always, David. A couple of great points in there. First of all, with Gonzalez, man, and I know we talked about it with James White, but this guy is incredible. I heard Bill say on his podcast last week that as Boston fans right now, we got to take small victories, and Christian Gonzalez is certainly one of them. That guy is incredible. I mean, what I I still cannot fathom how he dropped to 17 in the draft. I mean, you're watching this guy play; he's already a stud. Like by the end of the season. Would anybody be shocked if we were talking about him as a top five corner in the NFL? The guy is incredible. I mean, it's amazing to watch this guy play. And he's got everything, right? In terms of, we know that he's got all the size. He's got the speed. He has the instincts. He has just really, really been a fascinating player to watch for this team. And a massive hit in the draft. The Ramondre thing, I just hit on that. I mean, this is... I don't know how you can't be concerned or how you're not concerned if you're a Patriots fan right now. All of a sudden, the best player on the team last year offensively is just not doing anything. I mean, it's certainly concerning to me, and I'm with you. I mean, it's a good thing they have Zeke. (laughs) Where are they right now in this game without Zeke? At least Zeke was running the ball with some level of consistency in this one. I love what we saw from Zeke in this game, and 
I do wonder now, like, end of these games, you're going to Zeke, you're not going to Ramondre. I'm not saying it's an issue right now, but down the road, Ramondre was supposed to be the guy. Eventually, at the running back position, we know it's tough to get paid if Zeke, you know, sort of... And look, I, I still believe in Ramondre, the player. I still believe Ramondre is going to have a good year, but it's at some point, you got to say, let's get this thing going. To the Juju point, we hit on him earlier. Pro Football Focus does have a war start, uh, stat rather. I'm sure that Juju is pretty low on that list right now. He is, man, this thing smells bad right now. You go back to some of the misses that we've talked about with a guy like Sanu that you traded for, the Aguilar contract that never worked out. I just don't know what you're getting right now from Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, you paid for this guy in the offseason, and he's just not a very good player at this particular point in time. Now, we're three games into the season, maybe as the year goes on, and James kind of pointed this out, maybe the knee feels a little bit better, and I know they said that the knee's good. Does anybody buy that? I mean, he just, he hasn't really been effective, and if you think about this receiving core, Juju should be one of the best players on it. Why shouldn't he? I mean, this guy has been a successful NFL player, and he just really can't get going, and that's why I'm just awfully concerned as we get ready for that Dallas game coming up next week. Okay, so if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can at 617-396-7172. You can also email us at offthepike at gmail.com, and that's where we bring in producer extraordinaire, Jamie McClellan. Jamie, before we get to the email, okay, mm. we have to get to, what is it, Nutgate, Ballgate? <laughs> what is going on with Christian Gonzalez, and, or excuse me, with Christian Gonzalez, with Sauce Gardner and Mac Jones? We have some issues here, man. He's crying foul. He says Mac Jones gave him a little nut shot on a QB sneak. Apparently, Mac Jones got up, said nice play to Sauce Garner, and then hit him in the nuts right after. This is like the fifth time someone's accused him of a dirty play. Well, and he has had dirty plays. Yes. Remember, he was fine last year. He's yeah, had dirty times. plays yeah, throughout his career. So, I mean, the guy does have a history, unfortunately, of dirty plays. So I'm not saying I believe one guy or the other. Now, Mac did deny it. Mac said that it didn't happen, right? So... Mm. I don't know, man. It just feels like a, a weird situation right now where you have nutgate. It's weird, too, because it's a weird position to be a dirty player, the quarterback. Like, you think that's going to come yeah. back to bite you at some point? Like, what Mahomes said in that TV show, quarterback, how he's always really nice to the defenders because he, he thinks they're going to be easier on him when they tackle him. And, like, this is the exact opposite. So, uh, hopefully it doesn't come back to bite Mac. Yeah. Deshaun Watson's gotten, like, two on Sportsman like this year, too. Like, he's got himself into some, he's probably got a target into some well. trouble. Hey, good for the Browns. I mean, they actually won today, shockingly. I hate the, I hate the Browns because, obviously, for obvious reasons, I'm not a fan of Deshaun Watson, but I, I'm shocked. I'm not, I mean, look, it's the Titans. It's not like they're a great team, but I'm no. kind of surprised that they won without that Nick Chubb being out for the season, unfortunately. But, yeah, I mean, we'll yeah, see if sad. this if this Mac thing continues, like the Mac versus Sauce Gardner thing becomes a bigger story this week. But... I will say, too, like, remember at one point during the game, so I don't know if this Sauce Gardner play happened before or after this, but remember when they really got into it? Like, not Mac and Sauce in particular, but Mac and the defense uh, defensive yes. players on the Jets and, like, the linemen came and everything. Like, it looked like things are getting pretty ugly there for a second. So I don't know. I don't know. But but I'll tell you this. Mac's history certainly doesn't help him in this conversation. No, no he doesn't have a great track record. But, yeah, he got smacked on that QB sneak. I thought they could have thrown a flag, though. It seemed like he initiated some yeah. of that as well. So how are you feeling, man, before we get to the email? Because are, are you in my boat where it's like, okay, they won, the defense looks great, but again, the offense doesn't give you much hope? Yeah. I, I think it's he, getting worse, do you? I think it's getting, and I, look, I get it. The Jets are better than Miami defensively. Def yeah. Philly's a good defense. I get it. The Jets are a really good defense. But you can't really find anything consistent. 
No, I, I mean, I think me and most fans, like you said, everyone's not feeling great after this win. It's it's a little tricky. Like I saw Mac after the game said we had to be really cautious with the ball because of the weather and we didn't want to turn it over. And so maybe they were like, look, we're going to win this game, you know, two to nothing kind of thing. Like we're just going to yeah. play not to lose against Zach Wilson. So fine. That does work. They did it last year and they won 10-3. But no, they. I mean, they've had the ball now three times at the end of the game, the offense, all with a chance to win it. This time by running at the clock obviously against the Eagles and the Dolphins. And they, they're 0 for 3 right now, which is, you know, in critical moments. That's pretty bad, even beyond their other problems. But with the game on the line, they haven't delivered. And that's not a great sign. Yeah, and it's always something. It's always something that happens I know with these drives where they stall out, stall out penalties, bad throws by Mac, Bad routes, re- yeah. Yeah, receivers running bad routes, receivers giving up on plays, mm-hmm. Ramondre dropping a ball where he has 10 to 15 bad. yards ahead of him you concerned about Ramondre man because me I'm oh like Ramondre is my guy and I'm like whoa what's it's, going it's, on it's his third year it's bizarre I mean like uh the caller said he just doesn't have that pop he just, he just looks slow basically for lack of a better word and you know what's weird too is like uh I was also kind of surprised how bad Dalvin Cook looks like the oh. second he gets touched he, he crumples into onto the ground it's like this is the guy at the back end of his career and they don't look all that different I feel like Ramondre and him which is uh concerning obviously yeah, Delvin Cook blows. He looks terrible. Like I remember when like people were, oh, the oh Jets got Delvin Cook adding to the team. It's like, dude, what the fuck is he going to give you? That dude sucks. Yeah, I guess and he always fumbles that. too. That's another issue that guy has. He always fumbles. I, I don't I, like. Yeah, Delvin Cook in his like second season in the NFL, maybe you'd be excited washed. for. But yeah, he he does look completely washed. All right, yeah. Jamie, let's get to the email, man. Sure. This is from Dave in North Carolina. Dave writes, be squared. Looking forward to your analysis from this mess. It's an appropriate term. The defense was great, but how do you so thoroughly dominate the stat sheet and come away with only a five-point win? Some random thoughts. A field goal team needs work. Ryland, our genius, fourth-round pick, is shaky, and so are the snaps. Definitely the snaps had a lot to do with those kicks, I think. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. I think, it was, I think it was the snaps. Like He's got a big leg. I think he's going to be fine overall. Uh, newsflash, our receivers are terrible. Parker cannot create any daylight from the defender. If he could, he might have snagged that floater from Mac towards the end zone. Juju looks like a deer on ice skates, slipping and sliding and misjudging every ball thrown his way. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And deer then he on had... ice skates. It's <laughs> good. I like this image. It's conjuring. I've uh, <laughs> like a deer on ice, but now we get the, the deer ice actually skates. wearing the ice skates. I like that. Yeah, maybe some roller skates, ice skates, whatever. And then he ends with this thought. How many NFL dynasties have abandoned their iconic uniforms they wore during their dominant days? Answer, just the Patriots in favor of our ridiculous Ice cream suits, he calls them. I kind of like that, too. Uh, what do you think of Dave's email? Uh, first of all, I completely agree with the last part of it. I think we talked about it at some point. Was it last week or this week? I think it was when we had Zach Cox on, right? Where yes. I'll never understand it. I, I, the teams do this across the sports world. I'll never understand it, why they go away from good uniforms. I don't know if it's like to sell merchandise, but who the hell would Probably want? Is. And I know people have them. Who would want that Patriots jersey Lovely. over like some of the better ones? Like... I don't understand. I think this is by far like they've gone in the wrong direction. Like if I was ranking Patriots uniforms, number one would be Pat the Patriot. Okay, where they had those uniforms. Number two would be the 90s, the Royal Blue, uh, Drew Bledsoe era Patriots. Like those a lot. Number three would be most of Brady's career, right? Where they had the blue pants and the white shirt. I love the white shirt. That's a clean look. And then where they had the Navy shirts and the Navy, Navy jerseys. And then they had the silver pants. Last on the list would be the color rush uniforms, okay, that they're currently wearing right now. 
I don't think the white ones are horrible, but the all blues are terrible. Yeah. So how do you keep going in the wrong order when we're getting further and further on in time? Like, how do you, how are you in reverse? The Patriots went from having their best uniform to now their worst uniform. Like every time they make a uniform change, it gets worse. So I, I don't understand. And look, this is maybe something I shouldn't be as irritated about because I guess this is why I'm spoiled about this, Jamie. The Celtics, they have great uniforms. Mm-hmm. They never changed really like the original the uniform. Yes. Yes. They have like the, like, and the rest of the NBA teams have to do this too, where they have like the alternate jersey, right? Mm-hmm. Where one year they had the black uniform, which I really liked the black uniform. I hated the, remember the year that the NBA, for some inexplicable reason, had like the tight t shirts? The, the, the Celtics Who had the gray ones. Yeah. I mean, that, that, those things were terrible. But, and then they'll have like these different, ver- like last year they had the Bill Russell uniform, right? Mm-hmm. A year before that, they had a different version of the white uniform. Okay, fine. Like, you're doing that to sell jerseys, but it's an alternate shirt. You stick with your main uniform, the green and the white, because it's Mm -hmm. classic. And the Patriots have gone away from good uniforms, and they continue to get worse. I guess at this stage of Patriot football, I'm glad that they're wearing the worst uniforms now. (laughs) It's fitting. Very fitting, yeah. Like, who objectively, who thought those were good? And who thought, like, after the color rush, you know what, we should make these the permanent homes? Yeah, I think they had to transition, I guess, after Brady, but they didn't want to switch up everything. But I think it is our duty, Brian, to keep banging the drum about this until they get rid of them because it's been too long already. And Zach Cox also made a really good point. The the old school away uniforms, the white with like the blue and red lettering, those are really cool too. They wore those like the 50th anniversary AFL year, like 2009 or something. Those are great jerseys. Bring those back as well. I'm pretty sure, I can't remember if it was the Cardinals or it may have been the Titans game, actually, when Brady had the six touchdowns. It could have been yeah, that game. The snow game. Yeah, and they were in all white. They which, were the all whites. No, they had the Oilers jerseys, too, the Titans, which are also very cool. Yeah, those are sick. I wish they could have, like, I wish Houston could actually be the Oilers, like the Texans. Good name. How about the Texans? They beat the Jags. <laughs> Dude, don't get me started on the Jags. I have Trevor Lawrence on my fantasy team. He's been terrible so far. I can't believe it. Very, very surprising. I guess Houston, I believe, the, you know, Stroud looks pretty good. I like Stroud a lot. I like Richardson. Not a big Bryce Young fan. Right. And I, I just, I don't know how you have the number one pick and don't take one of these guys mm. that has like, Stroud has crazy upside that. if it works. Richardson has crazy upside if it works. Bryce Young, I mean, you're already, the guy's already getting hurt and he's barely yeah. an NFL Small. player and he's 5'10". Yeah. You like can't see over the line. Like, man, you have, re- yeah, you have massive issues with this guy going forward. All right, Jamie, as always, great stuff, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. All right, remember, if you want to email us, you can at offthepike at gmail.com. All right, coming up next, the best team in town, the team with championship aspirations, the Celtics. They made a move this week, and I kind of have a theory on where this team's going. I'll get to it next. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. 
Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Welcome back into Off the Pike. All right, I do want to get to a little bit of Celtics here, okay? We're getting closer to the season. I know this is a football Sunday, but I am getting very excited for the Celtics. Okay, so they made a move this week. They pick up Lamar Stevens. He's a wing that's known more for his defense, right? He played with the Cavaliers. So just really quickly on him, the Cavs were actually 2.9 points per 100 worse with him on the floor defensively via cleaning the glass. That was in the 25th percentile. But those on-off numbers sometimes can be wonky depending on who you're playing with. And he was really good as an isolation defender, right? Five for 25 opponents were shooting against him last year, 20%. That ranked in the 97th percentile. So he's been really good as a one-on-one defender. And if you've seen him play at all, you you probably remember him last year from a couple of games against the Celtics. He is a solid defender. He can't shoot 52 of 185 from three in his career, 28.1%. Okay, so he's basically, he's just the D in the three and D situation, right? Where he can't shoot, but he certainly can play defense. But it dawned on me. And so I, I, it's fine move, add another defender to the team. Certainly cool with that. But it did dawn on me, like I'm sort of looking at the guys that the Celtics added, right? It's clear what they wanted to address in the offseason. So one of the things I said multiple times last year is the Celtics, they had the best combination of two wings in the league with Jalen and Tatum. I don't think that's a hot take. I mean, you can make an argument for Booker and Durant, but those guys barely played together. You could make an argument for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, but those guys are always hurt, right? So I would take the Celtics combination over anybody in the league right now. But one of the other things I mentioned last year is they were really thin on the wing line outside of your two stars, right? It's like, okay, you have the best combo, but after that, you don't really have a lot of the wing line, right? So we're talking about really who last year? Sam Hauser, that's like your only other wing who at times wasn't in the rotation, but that's a wing that can shoot, right? And then Mahai Luke, another guy you sign, he's a shooter from the wing position, right? So those are kind of the guys that can shoot threes. Then you think about, but Hauser, if you go back to last year, he was really the only other guy that played on the wing line Grant's last year, I felt like he slipped defensively and he was better defending bigs where he really can't guard a traditional wing anymore. He can cover bigs, but not regular wings, right? So after Tatum and Brown, you really didn't have somebody that you could put on opposing good wings. Even Smart, as great as he's been throughout his career as a defender and as versatile as he is, when he's going up against guys that are 6'7", 6'8", they can overwhelm him at times just because of the size. Like, we you know Marcus is always going to fight. But the one thing I'll say is, like, last year we all knew that Marcus, his defense slipped a little bit last year because he was dealing with an injury. So he really wasn't a good answer for a wing. But remember, like, some of the wings that the Celtics played last year, they had big days. LeBron... In one of the games, 33-9-9 in overtime. In another game, 41-9-8 in overtime. And remember, this is one of the games where LeBron was like crying. Patrick Beverly brought out the camera, which was incredible theater. But nonetheless, Paolo Boncaro as a rookie last year had some monster games against the Celtics. We're in one game. And remember, Orlando had the Celtics number somehow. He had 23 on just 13 shots. He got to the line nine times in a win for the Magic over the Celtics. He had another game where he had 31 against the Celtics. 
Kawhi had 25, 9, and 6 in just 29 minutes in the game the Clippers blew out to Celtics. Paul George had 26 in that one. So the reason I bring that up is Jalen needs to clearly be better defensively. He gets spacey when he's off the ball. I do feel like when he's challenged, he could be good on the defensive side of the floor. Like if you go back to the series against the Sixers where he's like, okay, I'm getting Harden. He played really well against Harden for large stretches during that series. A couple of games, he just took him out of the game, period. But after Tatum last year, because Jalen wasn't really great as a defender and smart, he had health issues, wasn't the same defender. You really didn't have a good option to put on an opposing wing. And we saw wings, as I just went through these numbers, light up the Celtics at times last year. So what I like about the Lamar Stevens ad is more a bigger picture thing and more of a philosophical thing with the Celtics team. You also added O'Shea Brissett, who he has a seven foot wingspan. He went to Syracuse. We love that. And Lamar Stevens, like him, Lamar Stevens and O'Shea Brissett, not great shooters. Brissett, 34.4% from deep. Then you look at Jordan Walsh, another guy where... He's the guy that you took in this year's draft. He was fourth among wings in wingspan at seven foot, almost seven two, over seven one. Think about that, a seven foot two wingspan for a wing defender. That's like what you dream about when you're drafting a wing defender. The standing vert was 33 inches. That was fifth among wings. So this guy is, from a prospect perspective, what you want in a wing defender, Jordan Walsh has it. And he's sort of predatory on that end. We've seen it, right? And even in summer league. The big question with him is going to be the shooting. Like he was 27.8% from the college three last year, but just 72 attempts. Like there's no reason he can't develop into a competent shooter. We see it all the time at the NBA level. Okay. And so those three guys, Stevens, Brissett, and Walsh can all hypothetically guard wings, right? Stevens has proven it at the NBA level. Walsh may be really good this year as a rookie. Like, I mean, that guy, he's a specimen, then you have now, when you throw Brissett into the equation, you have three options after Tatum, where it felt like last year, Tatum was your one reliable wing stopper. And look, one of the things I love about Tatum is he loves taking on the other team's best player. We see it all the time in the postseason. I mean, obviously, the biggest one that comes to mind is him just dominating Durant for a series. That was like incredible, right? But sometimes the focal point of your offense, in this case, Jason Tatum, you can't have him play the majority of his minutes against the other team's best player. It's just you wear down when you have to do that, right? And so out of that group, Walsh is obviously the most important long term because if he can develop into a shooter, you have an incredible player like because he's going to be a good defender. I guarantee that like and maybe we can play back this podcast in like two years. And if he stinks, you can say, Brian, you're an idiot. He's going to be a good defender. But those guys, right, the other guys that you sign, Walsh in the draft and Brissett and as we mentioned, Stevens. Those guys, you don't need their scoring, right? It's okay that you added non-shooters. You have Tatum, you have Jalen, you have Derek White, you have Brogdon, more on that in a second. You have Porzingis, we know Hauser can shoot. You have enough scoring, you have enough shooting, right? The wing defender is more important to this team going forward based on where the roster was at right now. So I like the ad just because it feels like you put three resources when you're talking about two signings and... A guy in the draft in Jordan Walsh, you put three resources into an area of weakness last season. Just like with Kristaps Porzingis, you didn't have a versatile low post score, a guy that can pick and pop, do all this different type of stuff. You didn't have that. So you really sort of, you look different from where you were last year. And like at this point in the season, at this point in the offseason where training camp is just about to start, it's not like you're going to get a three and D wing. Those guys are so important in the NBA. So if you get at least the D portion of it, I'm fine with that. And I do kind of see a philosophy with what Brad Stevens and that front office did in the offseason. Okay, I did want to get to Brogdon because you had Gary Washburn recently saying that he was concerned about 
Brogdon after the botch trade that he was upset about that. That was what Gary Washburn said on my buddy Adam Kaufman and Evan Valenti's podcast. And then Celtics beat, by the way, great podcast. If you want to check that, those guys out, I go on there with them. We've had Kaufman on the show as well. But it, And then you had Ramona Shelburne saying that Brogdon was upset about sort of how the injury was handled. So you've had a lot of sort of stuff coming out about Brogdon. A couple of things on this. Brogdon, I guess, could have come out and said something like Washburn was wondering why we haven't heard anything, that it was all good. I guess he could have come out and said something, but I'm sure he's just waiting to answer questions about this on media day, right? And Brogdon, he's a smart guy. When he actually talks to the media, he's going to say something that is measured. And look, obviously, with anybody, this is not an easy situation for Brogdon, right? The team literally traded him. That was not a rumor. It happened. Like, he was getting dealt to the Clippers, and it was next, right? So I'm sure he was really upset. And it's a little weird, I would imagine, right? Where now he's on the team. It's like, hey, we didn't want you, now we want you, right? But he's going to get over this, Malcolm Brogdon, right? Even if maybe he's already over it. We don't know, right? But this isn't a deadline thing, right, where it happens, and the trade gets nixed, and then he's playing for the Celtics that night. By the time the season starts... He's going to have months to process this situation. And so I'm sure, yes, he's not happy about it. But what's he going to do? Think about it from Brogdon's perspective. He's entering his 31-year-old season. He's been the guy on a team before in Indiana, and it didn't go well. And when he came to the Celtics last season, he literally said, I want to win a championship, so whatever I can sacrifice to get back to that championship level, I'm willing to do it and compete. This is what he said last offseason. He came off the bench last year. As we all know, he won the Sixth Man of the Year award. He hadn't come off the bench since his second season in the NBA. So he was willing to sacrifice in some capacity last year. So I empathize with Brogdon, and I understand that it probably stung a lot when he was essentially traded. But I don't think all of a sudden he's just going to be a problem for this team now, right? Where he's going to come to camp. And he's going to realize, hey, I'm on a team that right now on FanDuel is the favorite to win the championship. What am I going to do? And remember, if if he were to be traded, like say hypothetically he's really upset where he wants to be traded. And I feel like, and I, Bill talked about this on his podcast this week, the trade demands are getting sort of out of control in the NBA. But nonetheless, like if he gets traded, like if he wanted to get traded, there's no guarantee he's going to go to a good team, right? And now the Clippers thing, that would have been a good thing. But the Clippers decided, yeah, we're worried about the trade. Hypothetically, he could have gone to the Wizards in a deal, right? Like, so you're not guaranteed that you're going to go to a good team. So I think he's going to push this aside and he's going to be fine. And the other thing is the Celtics need him now. Like this whole idea of trading Brogdon that I see floating out there, people suggesting they should trade Brogdon. What's the guarantee that you get better by trading him, right? The reason it made sense to trade him earlier in the offseason is you were getting Porzingis. That's the reason you trade a guy like Marcus Smart that's been so important to the this team for the past few years because you're getting Kristaps Porzingis. You're getting an upgrade on your team. That's the same thing that could have been said when you're trading Brogdon, you're getting an upgrade. But I wouldn't just be looking at Brogdon and say, hey, you know what they should do? Get two pieces, right? Like, what's the guarantee? What, you're going to get two pieces for Brogdon that aren't as good as Brogdon as a player? I just feel like that's not smart business. Make sure this thing is all right, and I'm sure it will be. Like, Brogdon's going to look at this and say, we have a really good chance to win a championship, right? And I feel like probably through most of last season, I'm guilty of underrating Brogdon because some of the impact metrics were not great at times, and he wasn't finishing around the rim. That's not something that is underrated. Like, his finishing was bad last season, but... I talked about this with Michael Pina when 
I did the better or worse pod in August where we basically went through each guy on the roster and said whether or not he's going to have a better year than he did last season or a worse year than he did last season. One of the things like that I mentioned on that pod, if you look at the playoffs, he really did play really well for this team and he showed up in the impact metrics. If you go to before the injury against Miami, the Celtics had outscored teams by 11.4 points per 100 with Brogdon on the court. Two points better than any of the Celtics regulars, right? So he, he was like a guy that didn't show up at the impact metrics. All of a sudden in the playoffs, he was because it's more difficult to score. You need bucket getters and Brogdon was showing up in the impact metrics because when it gets dirty, when it gets grimy in the postseason, you need bucket getters. Brogdon, the numbers would tell you that's part of the reason he shows up there. In total points, so in those 13 games, the Celtics outscored opponents by 80 points with Brogdon on the court. Only Horford was better who played significantly more minutes. And look, I would also say that they missed him at the Heat series, right? Clearly, they tried to bring him back, and he just wasn't the same. Like, clearly, he had an issue where he couldn't shoot. It became abundantly clear, and that's part of the reason I was actually at times like, why are they playing him? Because he can't shoot right now, right? Like, he's dealing with this elbow situation, but he just didn't have it from a health perspective. And they especially missed him when Tatum turned the ankle in Game 7, right? I know that he tried to give it a go, but he wasn't effective because of the injury, Outside of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, he's your only certified bucket getter where you can say, hey, just go get me a basket, right? Like even Derek White, who we all know, I'm the president of the Derek White fan club, will be meeting again this year, but we all know that Derek White is not that type of player. He does so many things well. You're not just going to say, hey, Derek White, isolation situation, right? So, and you don't want Marcus Smart to do it. Sometimes he could do it like in the post, but you didn't really want to play through Smart like that. Brogdon can get his own shot. He can get buckets. And when Tatum turns the ankle, that all went on Jalen Brown in that game. And we know how that went. Jalen was 8 of 31. He was 1 of 9 from deep, and he had the 8 turnovers. They needed Brogdon's game in that 7th game just to sort of take some of the pressure off Jalen Brown, and they didn't have it. So I'm excited about Brogdon. I think this situation is going to play out fine. I'm glad that he's back on the team now, and I hope they get a lot out of him. I mean, you look at the postseason. He was 13 of 33 on pull-up threes, 39.4%. That's a bucket getter. That's what I'm talking about, bucket getter. During the regular season on pull-up threes, 60 of 134, that was 44.8%. The only guy better on pull-up threes that took 100 last year than Malcolm Brogdon was Steph Curry. Last time I checked, that guy's a pretty good shooter. So Brogdon was outstanding. In the playoffs, you need those type of guys. You can just say, hey, you know what? Go to work, man. Hey, can you take some pressure off Jason Tatum for 10 minutes? Can you take some pressure off Jalen Brown for 10 minutes? And you were missing that in the Miami series. So as much as we point to the ankle turn of Jason Tatum, you can also point to, well, you didn't have the Brogdon guy who was like an unbelievable score off the bench for you all season long. So I'm like, I know that a lot of Celtics fans are getting worried about this Brogdon thing. I'm not. I'm telling you to stop the panic on the Brogdon thing. You want to panic about something, Panic about the Patriots and Ramondre Stevenson not being able to run the football. Panic about that. Do not panic about the Malcolm Brogdon situation. And if I'm wrong about this, you can say, Brian, you were an idiot, but I will not be wrong about this. I am determined not to be wrong about this one. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll talk in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 
Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts, or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. 